Okay. Okay. Welcome to Going Off Track. Uh, welcome, Jonah. Welcome to my house. We're here at Brad's house. <laughs> it is so peaceful here, Brad. Thank you. Not always. It's because school has started that it's so peaceful. <laughs> you know, you'd think, uh, yeah, you'd think that, it, you know, right in Manhattan, it would be loud and crazy, but oh, it's, it's yeah. pretty mellowed here. We're over here at the edge of the world. It's very nice. Uh, Although we're supposedly going to get a little ferry stop over here. Really? Yeah, the Grand Street Ferry. Nice. So I'll be over to go over to Brooklyn and go to the smorgasburg or whatever you don't need it you got kosars over here i got some whitefish you got the pickle guys i got some spicy pickles donut you got the donut guys. yeah donut plant yeah, no, we're pretty good well what else do you need you got it pretty good yes um speaking of speaking of having it all speaking of having it all <laughs> we want to have it all yes up top today uh we wanted to thank some of uh the people who have been consistently supporting us on Venmo, uh, we're, we're toying with new ideas to try to give more incentives to you guys. We appreciate the donations in the meantime. Um, so, yeah, Brad. I think, I think Ren Volpe at this point is going to have to be our new executive yes. producer. Ren Volpe. And I want to thank Robert Gonio, who also gave a nice little uh, something, and this guy, Brandon Weinberg. So, those people, I won't say what they left us, but it was. A, more than the average. It was bear. not a, an Ed McNulty sixty nine cent, four dollars and twenty cents. We love you. We love you. We do love you. You can give us whatever you want, baby. Ed is just such a handsome guy. Uh, he can get away with. But with, if you want to contribute, just uh, at via Venmo, it's uh, it's off track, and you'll see my name, Brad Worrell, will, will pop up just to kind of confirm that you're in the right place. Um, and any amount is great. We could, uh, you know, we're just trying to stay out of the advertising modem yes so uh yeah and like i said we're telling some new ideas to give you guys some exclusive content and that kind of stuff um so if you're interested in that let us know yeah so some big spenders we might we might throw some bonus stuff your way yeah and that would you know be retroactive to anybody that that hit us up earlier yes so uh yeah venmo slash off track thank you for the donations we really appreciate it today on the podcast yeah, this big is, one. This is a, it's a very exciting podcast. <laughs> I feel like for everyone, I felt like this was one I booked and then everyone was like, no way. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we did a podcast with Living Color with uh, Vernon Reed and Corey Glover. Um, it's amazing. I st- can't believe it happened. I, what I, I mean, yeah, I can't. It's a, it's a great guest. Good job, Jonah. Thank you. <laughs> and shout out to their manager, Kevin. He really, really made this happen. He solidified it. Yes. But- Dude, I mean, the crazy thing is this conversation that you're going to hear, which is great, only got better after we stopped. We had it. We we went off track on off track. Like after there, after we stopped rolling, these guys hung out in the lounge for like like a half hour, right? Dude, I think longer. I think like an hour. And we just talked about like everything from like politics to child rearing to like music. It was. We literally could have had another podcast yeah. from what we were just hanging out in the yeah, lounge. Yeah, such, I mean, smart. It was to the point where I was like, are they going to leave? <laughs> yeah, such smart, interesting guys. Uh, that's what I, I was like. I hope they just stay forever. Yeah, they like, really are both, they're great podcast guests. Yes. Because they both bring something different to the table and um, it's, well, you'll hear it. it's amazing. Yeah, podcast. so they have a new record called Shade. It just came out. Uh, it's awesome. It's great. And uh, they just played... Uh, Late night with Seth Myers, so you can um, you can check that out. Uh, they did that Monday, so you can I'm sure you can find that online if you're savvy enough to listen to podcasts. <laughs> um, and yeah, they just played a show with Prophets of Rage here, so it seems like they're 
just killing it. And it's so wild because I was when I was writing the summary for the podcast, I was wrote something about cult of personality. I was like, when did this song came out? This song came out in '88. They formed in '84, and they kind of like look the same, <laughs> and like they still just shred like it's pretty impressive for guys who've been doing it for like over 30 years that's right. especially with this kind of music yeah so yeah i feel like they're at the top of their game um shade is out now and this is a, a pretty pretty heavy podcast i would say pretty current with what's happening in the world like i said they're super intelligent guys and very well informed so yeah let's get into it with uh, vernon reed and Corey glover from living color My parents were first-generation immigrants who grew up in Queens. My mom, too. It's like the same exact story as him. I'm like, how is it possible with such opposing like views well that's that's like my like my my latest kind of rant on twitter has been about that it's been about this whole idea of of um of white supremacy is 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 a dodge you know what i mean it's a denial of ethnicity you know like forging some kind of grand whiteness it's like it's like it's it falls apart if you just look at european history on any on any level if you look at the conflict between the french and you know the french and the english i mean and and the other thing is what makes anybody think that racial homogeneity is going to lead to some kind of great utopian thing it doesn't work at all yeah look at the korean peninsula it's 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 a fabrication, but it's a fabrication that so many of us have bought into and we're fighting over something that is completely fake. When you talk about fake news, this whole thing of whiteness is is always, and Baldwin talked about this all the time, whiteness is always in relationship to the other. Mm-hmm. Because if, if the other's not there, right, mm, yeah. there's still going to be conflict. There's still going to be, there's still going to be crime. There's still going to be crazy stuff going on but the other is like okay we can ignore all of that and they're the problem and it's just if you peel it away just a just a layer of that onion it's 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 completely ridiculous so who do you think fabricated that narrative and for what advantage well well the the idea to, to, to dominate to have some kind of faux scientific because a lot of this is born out of you, the eugenics movement. Yeah, sure. Yeah. A lot of it comes comes out of that. And the mm-hmm. whole idea of uh, inferior people breeding, you know, people of low, you know, it, people of low intelligence, right. if you will. You know, and it's like, if you think about it, like the Roma were caught up in it. The Jews in Europe were caught mm-hmm. up in it. You know, I mean, I mean, even before you get into the Asiatics people and the people of Afri- African descent, and of course, of course, because... African people are obvious because skins are darker. You can identify the other. Boom. You can identify the Asian other. But these things are fallacious ideas because there was a lot of junk science. There was a lot of junk medicine. Like, there was a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And a lot of idiotic things got tossed out there as the, as the real thing. And a lot of those things, you know, weren't weren't actually um, applied. The, sci- the empirical scientific method wasn't applied to them. They were notional things. You know, like women can't do science because, you know, 
because they can't because their little brains can't absorb it. It's like right. it's fallacious stuff that's gone on. And the thing about it, like grandpa has these crazy ideas. So the thing for people to to leave those things, they have to literally you have to deny what your parents tell you. You right. actually have to if your parents mm-hmm. are saying dumb shit to you. You have to say that's some dumb shit. I'm d- I'm not going to believe that. Well, Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't because you get haunted by the you know, the thing you've always been told all sure. your life. Like, say you have a bad experience with a black person. Your person's an asshole to you. But you've been told that black people just blanket or they're, they're thieving, they're lazy, they're lying, they're blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then you meet a guy who's actually a conniving, thieving dude. <laughs> right. What are you, are you going to do? Is your impulse going to be this guy is a fuckwit, or is it going to be? See, I knew it. It lends itself and the, to and that the impulse because to to that thing, if you have a backdrop, you know what I mean of that, and it goes and that goes both ways, right? If if, if this backdrop, oh man, white folks are just going to be fucked up. It's going to be fucked up. If that's the backdrop, you've been told that your whole life, you can approach every situation mm-hmm. and have a, the security of the knowledge that that's the truth when mm-hmm. it's just a story you've been told and that that being said like uh, what i find interesting about that and the the movements that are going is that it feels like any subgroup can be emboldened now because of the uh not only the access to information but the access to other people who believe that way and that used to not be the case. You know, I even, out of sheer morbid curiosity, Googled Holocaust denial and looked into it for a brief time on the Internet. And the scary thing I found about it was the well-researched, you know, these really well-thought-out, well-stated arguments of course. for Erudition. the Holocaust not existing, where someone, if someone had gone into that Google search... With the preconceived notion that it may not have existed, right. they just found themselves with a whole lot of information and a whole lot of friends who are kind of juicing them up on that. Do you think like social media and access to that positive and negative information like lends we into that more? We hate to be more? wrong. We hate to be proven wrong. Just as a, as as human beings, we hate for our premises to be challenged. In a way, the scientific method is is actually fights against that, and people. Who, who they have a lot invested. I'm an educated person. Blah 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 blah. I did da 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 da. But your research could be wrong. And somebody across the world can take your thing and do the experiment and tell you, "Sorry, dude, with your PhD, you're wrong." And does the PhD guy go, "Oh, I guess I'm wrong." If he's invested more in the scientific method than he is in his own ego, he'll take his lumps. If he's invested, not as invested in the rigorous scientific method, but he's invested in, I'm an educated guy, I went to Harvard, I'm a smart guy. If he's invested in that, then he's going to find, he's going to find a way to reject it. Mm-hmm. That's based on ego. But that's based on, that's, that, I mean, that's partly, mm-hmm. that's, there's a partly an evolutionary basis even for that. You know what I mean? So we're, so like these sorts of things, of course somebody is going to be erudite. You know, like they, there's, it's been said the devil can cite scripture for its purpose. Sure. Like the devil knows the Bible. In fact, who has more in common, an atheist, an atheist and a Catholic or an atheist and, uh, or a Catholic and a Satanist? 
Right. The Satanist believe both the Satanist believe in the devil. has yeah. more. The Satanist <laughs> believes the narrative. Sure. The, sa- sure. the Satanist is the adversary. Mm-hmm. So they have much more in common, and they're both more invested in the narrative. Right. Sure. Yeah, but only one was referenced in an Eagles song, so it goes that bad way. <laughs> you know, you can find a lot of shit in those Eagles songs. <laughs> Hotel California, Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I want to talk about, about the record, but I also, just because of what's happening in the world right now, I had a question with everything that's happening. Is it? Cause I thought what, we what's were, happening, Jenna? With the white supremacists oh. and that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. what you were saying about Grandpa, I mean, I was so surprised that there were so many young people. On that side, yeah. I thought that generation dies out. Our generation, no, comes because up. because their parents are baby boomers, and their and their you know a lot of the parents of these kids are baby boomers, and rebellion is a, is a factor hmm. always in separating oneself from one's parents. So they've been told a bunch of things, and if and if those things are um, just kind of uh, window dressing. Right there's a certain kind of liberalism that also hides white supremacy mm-hmm. and hides racism as well. Exactly, sure does. you know sure what does. I mean. It's that it's. I mean, part of the thing that like, we have this, a dialogue that conservatives are inherently racist and liberals are inherently, you know, are not, not racist. But those 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 notions can be broken down, you know, on closer examination. Of course, there are liberal people that are not, but they're you know, but they're folks that are like, uh, I've seen it. You know where it's it. There's a kind of you people yeah. thing that's like, well, you don't you don't know. You like I'm a category, sure. You know, or people like the blacks are a category. You know, the Native Americans are a category, and of course we support their whatever it is. But if you look closer, and kids see that falseness, and they go, man, chuck all of that, man. It's mm-hmm. like. You know, and and also, it's this is the thing you must not believe. This we don't. And some kids are going to go for it. There's also some confirmation bias involved in that as well. One hundred. You know, like you were saying earlier, like if if one person does the one thing that Grandpa said that they do, he was right. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) he was absolutely right. And 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 the the falsity of it all is that 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 there's a parity to it. There is no parity to it. One de- one denotes power, and the other one denotes fighting against power. Right. So white supremacy says, "I want to maintain power." <laughs> Anti white supremacy says, "I want to tear that shit down." Right. You, you deal with that, and, and it's a it's a constant battle. There is no parity to it. There is no this. It's it's a false thing that you that that you just that you're constantly fighting against, and you're constantly. Seeing it as an observer, but you can't observe. You're in the middle of it, mm. but, but you can't a, see from a, from that. But there's like this fear. This, right. this like, oh, no problem. like one of the things that, that we hear politicians say all the time is, you know, let's level the playing field. And the person that says level the playing field has always got the field tilted in their direction. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the that's one of the terrific bromides that gets thrown out there. You know, because we see it statistically, we see it in in uh, sentencing disparities. Mm-hmm. We see it in sentencing disparities. Same crime. Criminal d- d- did the same thing, breaking into a house. A white criminal gets one thing and the black criminal gets something else. They're both criminals. They both did it. Mm-hmm. But routinely, the, the sentence will be different. And in school discipline, 
in school discipline, mm-hmm. one kid gets a timeout, one kid gets sent to detention. Right. right. Routinely. And the teachers that are doing it, if you if you talk to them about it, the individual teachers, oh, oh my God, they would be horrified. They don't think they are. Of course, right. they, of yeah. course they're not. Mm-hmm. But the darker kid, when he jumps up and he's being boisterous, seems more threatening. Right. Because he's un- because he's the unknown, unknowable, unknown other. Mm-hmm. Whereas the blonde kid that jumps up, you're like, oh, he's just like my nephew. You, you're an idiot. Sit down. Omar jumps up and does the same thing. Say, you know, to the principal's office. He's doing the same thing. Right. But because the darker classmate is unknown and unknowable and is frightening because that's what that is. Those kind of things go. And if you take those individual things and you bundle, it's like bundling mortgages. Like you suddenly have a thing that a, a frightening statistic, or you suddenly have, you know, a, a more the mortgage crisis. So is that person with that in like that implicit bias, the person who really doesn't even think they're racist and actually is like, Mm. are those people at a certain age, like a lost cause where like, I I don't believe anyone's like, how do you, how do you peel that back? Like, how do you get to that? Well, we have to get to a place where people actually get, you know, like we have to have more freedom around each other. There's a, there's a complete, we're, all of us are very, are handcuffed around each other. Like, If I if I'm if I cut you off or I'm being an idiot, I'm being an idiot. Sure. Right? So one thing is if I'm being an idiot, it's not about my blackness. It's about me being an idiot. Right. Right? So we have to have a kind of freedom where, you know, you can look at a person and actually see them. The the the, the worst thing, the terrible thing about racism is that we don't see each other clearly. We can't mm. see each other clearly. We can't see the good, we can't see the bad because we because it's shrouded in anecdotal falsities. And this happened to my cousin. It's all right. an urban myth. This is what you know that happened, and there was and they they gang raped this person. That happened, da, 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 da. and all of those kinds of things. And then we act out of anecdotal fears, anecdotal things. You know, mm-hmm. Willie Horton, sure. like Willie yeah. Horton, was a textbook example of the salient exemplar. And that's the one story, the anecdote that proves the general rule. Right. And you could sweep and you could sweep all the other stuff away. And we'll, you know what? They looked for that case and they mm-hmm. found it. They didn't they didn't talk about all the times that the parole worked. They're not gonna talk right. about right. it all the times. You know what? That guy, he he actually became a upstanding member of his community. That's not what they they don't want that story. Right. Because right. that story is not the story that's gonna change the outcome of the race. Mm-hmm. They need you, this guy got parole and he murdered some people. And that's the story that that's the brush that paints everybody else mm-hmm. that's in prison. That, you know, everyone else that did time, you know, it's it's kind of this thing. We, we're a very punitive society. It was funny that we, as, as a country that claims broadly to be a Christian country, the, how unforgiving and how unmerciful um, we are with sentencing and things like that. We talk, we, we're talking about... People forget about, the Samaritan wasn't a Christian. Right. Well, you know, he's the good <laughs> Samaritan, which makes you wonder what happened to all the other Samaritans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think about this. Right. What made him good? Yeah, what, Just, what was the one thing? He's, that a, made he's like the, the, priest, last the priest Samaritan. didn't do shit. Yeah. What happened to Samaritan? Obviously, obviously, too good. I, I find the whole tragic irony of all this is that I'm like in high school and I first hear Living Color and I'm listening to Letter to a Landlord and here I am, 45, and we're having the same damn conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like I'm, you know, literally eyes opened up, and I grew up outside of DC. You know, right. it's Bad mm-hmm. Brain City, yeah. and uh, I'm like, oh, that. 
naive child teenager. That happens. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And now, 45 years, or I'm 45, but like years later, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> We're still here. Am yeah. I still not? Was I still naive? What naive naivete did I have to fight through to. Well, you, you, ch- you tend to think that, like Vernon was saying, that the, these one incidents change everything. These one incidents don't change the narrative. They just, they either reinforce or they buck against it. Mm. And, you know, when you hear a group of people saying, this is not right, this is not right, and you hear it enough, you go, whatever, I'm tired of hearing you say it's not right. But it doesn't make it not right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you get you, you get fatigued from hearing about what the problem is. And rather than fixing the problem, we're trying to figure out where that, where the nugget of truth is in that in that scenario, you just decide to ignore it and go on with your rest of your life. Well, and then when faced with it, you have, you have to deal with it. Well, it's like, it's like the reaction to Black Lives Matter, which was so fascinating. Because Black Lives Matter is a cry. The, when Black Lives Matter came out, it was a, also a cry for help. It was like, we're being murdered with no recompense. We're like, and one of the response, one of the responses when, when these things happen is that some somebody will say just comply with the officer's instructions and it's like you've never and and this is because the fundamental relationship with the police of the the person saying that they've never been pulled over by the cops they've never been in that position so officer joe is always right Mm -hmm. and and to say anything other than that you're anti-police but that's but certainly you know we we have close police officers. I have two cousins. We have a fr- a friend a friend of the band who's practically family. Right. Who uh he, he's a detective. He you know he retired. My cousins retired. My cousins retired. One was a transit cop. One was a beat cop. Never fired their weapons. Yeah. You know they are they served with honor and distinction. I'm proud of them. But so when I talk about my abhorrence of excessive force it comes from a place of you know i i know that good policing exists most cops are not popping off their guns but the the their people that should never be cops in the first place they should never be cops in the first place in any think about let's leave racial thing sexual assault like cops sexually assaulting women it's an epidemic thing it's crazy town and most women who are you know get they get their ass grabbed by a cop they don't report it mm. because who's going to believe who's going to who's going to who gonna report it to who's going to report, it to? Right. Yes. report yeah. it to the cops right sure. every movie you see how are ia internal affairs how are they portrayed they're rats they're the disgusting rats, the rats they're the worst they're they're <laughs> the worst they're the shield for the brass i mean that's the thing that's funny like this blue lives matter thing came up and i just just like mm. you know i just thought to myself Every other movie I've ever seen in my life, we could list movies that uh, that are based on the lives of cops and TV shows. We would talk from now on. What are you talking about, Blue Lives Matter? Adam 12, Ironside, (laughs) oh my God, Madigan. We could go on and on and on and on and on and on. Bullet. (laughs) 
the seven up bloods. Right. You know, you the, can throw in the wire. Know. We can throw that in, right? That's, of course. Okay. But but you know, I mean, the lives. There's, of, there's still some piece of shit cops in the wire. That's quite. I mean, few, yeah. they're oh, pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, I don't. It, it's a it's a very funny thing. Like, well, why can't we talk honestly about when cops are you know are doing the wrong thing? And that's where I, you know I'm getting to the point with a lot of this stuff where I'm like, all right. It's pretty well-worn territory how we got to some of these points and the point we're at, mm. right? The thing I'm wondering now is, like, as someone from my side, when I watched the Eric Garner video, I was like, all right, how the fuck you dispute this? You know what I mean? This is, this is too <sighs> obvious. This is so over the top. This is finally going to be the one yeah. that just goes this way. And then, like you said, a movement starts that's literally like, fuck, stop killing us, please. You know what right. I mean? Not even like uh, a response that seems far-fetched in the least. And from someone like my side, I'm seeing Eric Garner, I'm seeing this movement come out, and then I see the Blue Lives Matter reaction. I'm like, what does it actually take? Like, how can this narrative be portrayed in a way that people finally are compassionate, understand, and can actually finally put themselves in the shoes of another person, listen to their stories, and actually move on from there, and actually take steps from there. Like, like what the fuck is it going to take if that didn't do it? Well, we have to, there have to be other narratives. My cursing other, I don't know, no, 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 no. It's, it's just weird. It's, it's, it's funny because if somebody is unmovable on a particular point and there's no way in. I, I don't know because on cert, on a certain level we have to be able to to move one another emotionally. We have to take we have to be able to take take that on, to take on the pain of the other. Take that take that on. And um and many people are unwilling to do it because it's it, it will dislodge a lifetime of a of a comfort, a mm-hmm. lifetime of a thing that's that's just I, I've I, you know, letting stuff go, you know. It, that's why traumatic events. A lot of people have gone through traumatic events, a traumatic disease, a traumatic thing. One of the things that people say if they survive is that this is the best thing that ever happened to me hmm. because it shook me. I got right. I got shook, and if people come out the other side of it, and I'm a different person because I understood the value. Of just the of the quotidian every day, the things that we take for granted every day. You know, it's 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 a it's a hard thing. You know, we there was a video. Uh, it was one of those videos that was leaked, uh, and it was very controversial. It was during the war in Iraq, and uh, I think this was uh, part of the thing that got my man. What's my man? He's living in Russia now. Uh, Snowden. 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 Right. He 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 leaked this thing, and, they, and there was a this, this helicopter. This, this helicopter shot up a bunch of people, and and one of the pilots said, "Well, that's what you get." But this, if you look at the footage, there's a marine who grabs a kid, and he picks up the kid, and he's running with this kid to get the kid to a medic. And when you see this marine grab a kid, and he's running with the child to give the child medical attention. It's like that's what it's about. Mm. Like that dude, that Marine, that nameless person that saw a kid get a, 
that got shot and did his duty. That's what this is. You know, and his, he's not celebrated. Nobody's, you know, but that's, that's the line. Like and people that actually do the right thing. This girl, Heather, that got hit, that got one yes. down. Yeah. You know, that's what that is. It's like the reverse of what you're talking about. You know, you hear about uh, you're lumping one culture in with one bad person. The opposite never happens when one good person does one thing. I I grew up on an army base and saw a 19-year-old MP beat a 12-year-old at the billy club when I was 12 at a very young age. And it affected me greatly in how I feel about the police. Sure. Greatly. Yeah. Met plenty of other police who were kind and whatever, but still that hit me hard as, you know random white kid and so now but and so it's hard for me to spin it like you're saying mm-hmm. with like the good on the other side it's difficult well those things i'll tell you there was something i saw that wasn't like super dramatic and it affected me greatly and it's not even deep uh there were these kids a bunch of kids it was the upper east side they were in a, in a pizza in a pizza and you grew up in the city right grew up in the city yeah, yeah. so i'm in this uh pizza joint there's a bunch of kids and this is and it's a mixed group of kids, a Latino kid, white kid, black kid. And they're just being kids. They're goofing off. The pizza guy doesn't mind. He's cool. And they're just being boys, you know, acting, throwing shit at each other, you know, being <laughs> kids. And a cop walked in. And the cop walked into the pizza place. And the dudes all settled down. Mm. And I thought, that's not right. They're not doing anything wrong. They're being, why, why, sh- why? Should your presence suck the joy out of the room? I, I had a big problem with that. He, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't shoot nobody. He ain't swing the club. He just changed the atmosphere. And it wasn't like. And the thing is, if the the guy making the pizza was complaining about their actions, but it wasn't like that. They were, you know, they were like I guess regulars, and he he was cool. He was just making. He was making his pie, and there was blah blah blah. And the cop walked in, and everybody just. And the whole thing was like the temperature mm. went down like 15 degrees. And he didn't interact with me. He didn't, he didn't give me a vibe. But I just watched it. And I said, that's not cool. That's not cool. That's not cool to be that person. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, I, if the cop said, yeah, yeah, don't worry. If the cop would turn around, like, dudes, don't worry about it. Yeah, come on. But, mm. but, but, but he kind of got off on it. Uh, right, yeah. he and, got, and I guarantee that, you, he does not did not know those kids. Those kids did not know him. Right, the whole idea of community policing is that you know where, you know the neighborhoods you're living, and that you live in those neighborhoods. That mm-hmm. you know exactly where you are and what you're doing, and and what goes on in that neighborhood because you actually live here. Part of, you know, the changes in in policing was that. They didn't want you to be a part of the community. They wanted you to be above the community. Mm. And that idea created a schism and creates a, a hierarchy that, that's not gonna, that doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. Right. You know how they, Adversarial. You, you know how, right. they, they, how they quelled Tiananmen Square? So the, the um, protests in Tiananmen Square were going on, and it got to the point where it was, it was going out of control. And they couldn't get the local cops... The local army would not intervene because they knew all of the people. Mm-hmm. So they were called, so the people, the protesters, would knew that they went to school with these, these guys, right? So they would call them out, and, and, they, and at a certain point, it was growing, growing. So what the authorities did, they got 
a set of people of of officers mm. from the extreme north of China. They got officers that they knew had no familial connection to the people in Tiananmen Square, and they're the ones that cracked down because they didn't know them at all. Mm. Wow, that's why I think I got smarter just sharing a couch with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I had a question, sort sort of about about the new music. Rest- How about music? Oh, music? oh, oh my god! god. Yeah, about- oh, fine, yeah. that old trope. Yeah. So you guys have first record in eight years. Yikes! <laughs> oh, oh. where the time? Speak goes. about history. <laughs> I mean, how how did this come together? I mean, was this something that you guys had been wanting to do for a while, or when did it feel sort of right to kind of get back into it? Well, we, you know, we um, we kind of it was funny. We started with the title, and we had the title Shade, and um. And then we did this thing at the Apollo where we we uh, were part of this, this celebration of the centenary of Robert Johnson. And we did the preaching blues. And the way we did it, it was it was crazy because we couldn't rehearse it. We we just it was really fly by the seat of our pants. And we went on and we did it and it worked. And and because it worked, I thought this this record shade that we named, because Corey and I kind of Came, came with the name. I, I wanted to call it synesthesia, but nobody else wanted to. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. do you have it? <laughs> I, I, I just wanted of, to call the last okay. record synesthesia. I, I did. I, I want to use this word synesthesia at some point in my you life. <laughs> so good. I want to be able to put it in a Co- sentence. Corey Gover. Corey Gover. Synesthesia. I'm a synesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I, I then I thought, well, this blues has got to be some kind of thread. There's something about doing this and it and it and us connecting to this song in this moment. So then that was the thing. I said, you know, this is somehow connecting metal and hard rock to blues. Or you know, because there's a there's a connection to it from even some of the early heavy bands like Sabbath, you know, had a blues had a mm-hmm. have a heavy kind sure. of blues basis, you know, Motorhead had a heavy blues basis for the, the you know Deep Purple. Deep Purple, yeah. big time. Had a had a heavy mm-hmm. blues basis. And we wanted to so but we also didn't want to do a a boogie record or a me- we didn't want to do a blues record. So it was like threading this needle where where blues is a thread that goes through all of the narratives and all the things without it being overtly a blues record. But so and that was a kind of a guiding principle. And then we went into it and we started kind of amassing songs and and then then at the end and this and there was fits and starts and you know and things happened and then next thing you know we had a bunch of pieces of music and then we had to figure out what the narrative was and we really pulled together all the songs that seemed to tell a story and that was pretty much it do you guys get do you guys do stuff like send files back and forth or do you like just getting in the space together all we did everything all of it all of it we did files we we were in we did this record in four different studios over time, and uh, we had a point. We were at a we had a point where we had enough songs for it to be a record, and we we and we really had a breakdown, and then we the writing wasn't done. We didn't have everything. There were certain sounds and things that we did not have, and that and that was a, that caused a kind of a schism. You know, um, we 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 had some. You know, some difficult times between us and our, our producer, 
Um, were you taking the same producer to all four studios, or were you working with different people? No, we we worked with with the one with the one producer in the one studio, and then we actually went away, and just the four of us did cool. some did some tracks. We recorded you guys preaching blues seven times. <laughs> seven times? I thought it was seven. <laughs> I think seven. you get that son, seventh son of a seventh son mythology in your memory, man. <laughs> no, it's, it was I, we because we rec- we recorded preaching blues right after we did the Apollo thing twice. Then we did it at Dre's. Then we did it again, and then we did it again. We did it every studio that we went to, into. The song that we, we did, pra- I we, think we did we, like four or five times. Nope, <laughs> not I'm trying to tell you. Might, we might have <laughs> we might have takes that we didn't use. Uh, anyway, anyway, we um, was that the schism? <laughs> one of many. <laughs> one of many. Skizai. You guys need some synesthesia here. I don't even know what, yeah, is what that color mean? did the schism sound it's like. It's, it's like smelling colors. Yeah. Uh, John Mayer so, says. Oh my god, he a record it. makes so much more sense now. Jonah, you may be the only one in this room who remembers this, but the Guilt record, Synesthesia. Yes. There's an old hardcore band called Guilt. Yeah. And yeah. every song was a, a color. Right. And thank you, thank you. This record makes a lot more sense. You just love. You did learn something. What's good? It's not that you see colors, right? You hear like your senses do what the opposite. They do the opposite. Good for guilt for being thematic all the way back in the mid nineties. What's the dynamic like between you two having kind of been friends and bandmates for what like thirty years or something? I mean, do you guys know what the other person's going to say? Just stand up. Does it let it happen? Oh, it's so. Lucky to be right it's here. a rich broth, <laughs> smoldering cauldron of resentment and fear. Fuck well, off, Vernon. You know, we we um get on each other's nerves. Yes, we get on each other. We push each other's buttons. Have you ever considered making a Metallica, some kind of monster type of documentary, where you uh, guys go into uh, group counseling and really just? lyrics that was my favorite part of the whole thing oh, and then maybe will will yes. be willing to do the saint anger snare sound <laughs> if he's up for it i don't know <laughs> what yeah. it's great no no one i was curious um you know one of the themes on the record seems to be uh mass media and those types of ideas mm-hmm. for-profit media i mean it, and that seems like something that's sort of been throughout your career i mean how did you guys kind of tackle that, maybe specifically on the new record, or what did what did you feel like you wanted to kind of make come across? Well, you know, when you have all you have in front of you, all we have, my phone keeps buzzing because all I have is media in front of me. This where we are right now is it is for the purposes of making media that we all we deal with is media and not really the emotions and the the or the emotional heft that comes from from these places and from these things and for out of these devices and we oftentimes are caught up in those things we get caught up in in we get caught up in a tweet storm we get caught up in but we we get caught up in uh, on some threat reddit thread or whatever it is and then but we don't talk about the emotional impact of a where it came from and b where it's going mm. so it's it's like we're pro, it's it's weird because at one point there's kind of the big bro- brother model you know the all-seeing eye that's watching all of us 
But now we've shifted to everybody watching everyone else. Right. And reporting on it. You know, and reporting yeah. and reacting. Right. You know what I mean? And and so we're, we've created this kind of organic programming environment that we're all We've created some of. kind of monster. <laughs> hey, it all comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Bucket of fish. (laughs) (laughs) We're here all week, folks. The thing I liked about when listening to the record was that immediately you know who you're listening to. You know who's singing. You know the guitar. Like immediately. And I think that says a lot to Living Color that you you have a sound. And I remember the first time hearing them, like, the hell is this? And still listen to it. And when you, is that something that's inherent? Like you, like do you have tones and style in your head, or you, mm. it's just kind of automatic when you're creating the song, or does that happen in the studio? That's that's a good, that's a actually really good question because, you know, living with the 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 various tunes, it, it's interesting that, like, there were things I did at the very top, and because we would play and we did it, the first take, and then we go through iterations to put a song away, write a bunch of other songs, pull the song back out. Okay, I'm going to do a whole other series of overdubs and then wind up using the original thing that I did the first time because it actually was the thing that felt the best. Like um, a song, Freedom of Expression, like the original guitar solo, is the, the guitar solo is on it is the guitar solo I recorded when we first did the track. Or you know, Two Sides. Two Sides was kind of recorded live in the studio and then was shaped into this this piece and that that's exactly what happened the very first time we did it other tunes you know is it, 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 it it's, it's different but a lot of t- and a lot of time and a lot of times that first contact you know because that's one of these weird things because you can always do it better but better may not isn't necessarily it like right. another lick that's fancy <laughs> Is not necessarily the thing that actually speaks in the moment of the of the song. Is that old Picasso quote where he's like, "Art isn't finished; it's abandoned." Ah! <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I wish we could abandon it. <laughs> well, the smart the smart thing is is to abandon things at the right time. Right. right? Yeah, that's like, the key. <laughs> sometimes you keep feeding it and feeding it, and it just turns into something you never wanted in the first place. Well, kind of because you know, there's so much anxiety around producing uh, work. You know, what are people going to say? What are you going to feel about it? You know, there's so much anxiety about, did, was this, is it loud enough? Can we make it louder? Can we yeah. get that? Can we do that? This, that, the other thing. <laughs> and at a certain point, the snare drum is the snare drum is the snare drum. Yeah. Like you can bring in a snare drum from Morocco. You can bring a snare drum. You can yeah, bring yeah, in yeah. an old, you know, you know, a, 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 a relic from the 20s tell that to William Calhoun <laughs> <laughs> but at the end but I yeah. dare you but you know but you know yo he just, earned it I'm the drummer in, in the room he earned it he earned it Will yeah, yeah. Will if you're listening you earned it baby you yeah. earned it get that snare right did you see the, did you see the, 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 the Springsteen thing on HBO when they showed the recording of Darkness and they tried to get a record it was like Jimmy Iovine was, was the yeah. engineer and they're trying to um Max Weinberg would hit the snare drum and they would go stick and they thought they could they wanted to get the sound of the stick hitting the snare away so they would go no we heard the stick again stick heard the stick and they talk they they 
they interviewed them and like in hindsight and Bruce Prince is like, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> really sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? We I mean music is is funny because we we Monday morning quarterback everything that happens yeah. in culture. Like if a movie comes out and does the thing, we go back. Of course it was genius because of da 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 da. You know, if a movie's a flop, it's a flop, right? Everybody has high hopes. All those very skilled people, all those people with all of their experience go in to do a thing. And they do the thing, and then the thing is people don't, you know, whatever. It doesn't work for whatever reason. And that's, and whether it's popular or not, it's more like, well, is this thing an actual thing or is it not so much? And that's timing too, though, isn't it? I mean, when you can, you can make something 10 years before that flops, it just connects with somebody it at the is, right time absolutely out of, yeah out of your control how is sort of the like promotion of this record must be so different I'm sh- and yeah you know, as opposed to like doing headbangers ball or going on mtv or doing that kind of stuff to doing podcasts i mean what's what's that sort of been like do you kind of miss well it's hyper era? niche well you know what the thing about it is it's like we're, we're into the era of the hyper niche the hyper you know like say like um a podcast like i'm a big podcast head like welcome to night vale yeah. Oh, yeah. Is its own thing. <clears throat> and most people don't know what Welcome to Night Vale is. I started listening to that new one, the wire, but, Ladder of the Wires, the one. What? There's another one, the Welcome to Night Vale. Now they have their own network, so they have a new show. They just, it's like right. in season two. But yeah. Alice, I like is, Alice isn't dead, or there's some kind Something of crazy. Like that, yeah. yeah. So these so these things, weirdly enough, and then you, you all listen to a podcast and they say, oh, yeah, we're going to have a live show at blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> It's like, and, and and there literally is a crowd of people, you don't know who they are, have found this thing, and they believe in the thing, and they're going to be part of the thing. And I think part of what what is happening now is that, you know, for bands and artists and comedians and what have you, people are finding, are having to do the kind, a kind of work that, are, that reaches out and they have to find their niche. Or expand whatever it is, whatever fan base they have. Did you read the book, The Long Tail? I think it's Chris the Long Moore. Tail. I've had the Long Tail read at me. Read at you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. screaming it at you. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have the film director I work with. He was, he was, he was obsessed with the Long Tail yeah. thing. It's a neat theory. It works out. Um, uh, I remember interviewing a band one time where uh, they said the singer would suggest he would sing ideas for guitar solos to the guitar player. I want to know if that ever happened. Well, Cult of Personality, <laughs> cult of, the, the riff to Cult of Personality was Corey was singing something to me and I stumbled on the riff. And he like I, played, I played something, it was totally different than what he was singing to me. Right. But it was that thing. It, and and from the moment da 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 from the moment of that first riff, the song wrote itself. Huh. Literally, it <clears throat> started to it took over the room. It made itself manifest. Awesome. How many takes did you take on that solo? Was there that's a- the second the second the on on that solo? It's the second time all the way through. There's actually an alternate. There's actually somewhere. Because Ed stays, in, I did the first solo, and Ed actually liked it, and it's very different. And I, I was sitting there, and he said, "We'll do some more tomorrow." And I was sitting in the booth, so I got to do one more right now. I said, "Let me do one more right now." And that one is that take is all of the from the top to bottom is one take. Wow, cool. But it's but yeah. it's it's a so, it's a song. It's a, it's it's when I. It's not that it's 
the thing for me, my connection to it is, yeah, it's like the most well-known, it's most popular song the band did. But the fact that it unfolded and made itself and we did not stop it until it was make, done from making itself like there was we didn't throw a monkey wrench we didn't do anything that interrupted the it making itself and that's a magical thing to be a part of and and, and we played that song like the very next, we had a CBGB's gig like a few days and we debuted that. We wrote the song and then we played it at CBGB's on the very next show. And it was instantly people, oh my God, what, what song is that? And it's just one of those, one of those things that happens, you know, and it was, it was, uh, you know, it's very special. It was very, I was, I was going to ask about that. Anyway. I'm glad you brought it up because I know you guys formed in New York City in what what was the exact year? 80, 84. 84. And then... Good God Almighty. And when you guys <laughs> came together, were you a part of that, like, New York City club scene? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a... I mean, it's it's weird. It's like... It's like... Speaking of Manhattan as a kind of Jurassic Park... Oh, it's like Nazareth. It's weird. It's, yeah. it's, it's completely... <laughs> I saw... No, the thing is, I saw Blue Cheer. I saw Blue Cheer... Which was weird. It was weird because it was like you wouldn't expect to see Blue Cheer play the dance interior. Wow. It was crazy. They were playing summertime blues at ear splitting volume. It was like <laughs> it's a really good. Version. I saw Nick <laughs> Nick Cave's first show. Wow. Where and was that? And that was also dance interior. And Barry Adamson was playing bass with them wow. at that time. So it was not birthday party. Nick Cave. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. When he was first, his first thing away from. The birthday oh, place is Nick Cave, his first solo thing. He wasn't so, even six feet tall yet. So, no. so, they're all, so there's all of those kind of crazy, you know, just crazy experiences. Did you? Did was it? Time. Was it? An, I remember hearing an interview with you guys, and I, I learned about bands from you. And I think it was uh, you talked about it was an interview. I can't remember where because I watched it about the Black Coalition musicians. And you had mentioned Bad Brains, who I knew, mm, being yeah. from Northern Virginia. You, you legally have to, right. yeah, which right. is important. And um, 24-7 Spies was another one, I think, at the time. Right? And we, saw, we saw like one of the first times they played Reignition. It was crazy at the, at the, at the, at the world. It was actually before <laughs> they made Eye Against Eye. Right. We saw them play Reignition. Uh -huh. It was like... Reignition, they, Bad, Brains, Bad Brains played <sighs> shows... Like anyone that knows Bad Brains, like their shows were Godhead. Like they played a show, yeah. they moved the Ritz uptown to Fifty Fourth Street, and the Ritz and the and the Ritz had a low hanging balcony. The balcony was really low over the crowd, and they played this show right around the time of the Youth Are Getting Restless, and people started leaping <laughs> from the balcony into the pit. And so when the first <laughs> dude did it. Then people start pouring off the balcony into. I've never seen anything before since. Like it, it, the entire place became a swirling miasma of bodies leaping and people running around. And the security guys were like, they just yeah, what do. Me and Vernon, we were played. We played this this show with with the Bad Brains. We opened for the Brains at this place called the World Downtown. It's not there anymore. And Vernon and I are in the balcony talking, and they do, they're doing pay to come now. What most people don't know about HR is that he's an Olympic oh yeah diver. <laughs> <laughs> he was he would have gone to the Olympics in Russia in 
if the Afghani thing didn't happen in the eighties, <laughs> he was going to the Olympics. They played pay to come, and there's this thing at the end was a da 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 da. HR jumped in the air, did a somersault, and landed on the one. The standing, standing somersault. <laughs> he standing somersault. He landed go, on the one? He landed on, on the, the one. one. Well, you know, because Nils Lofgren used to do, and it, you know, used to do his thing. He used, he used to use a jump, because he was an acrobat. So he used to have a jump lead where he would run, and he would, he would hit this jump lead and, and do a tumble. But HR did a standing somersault oh, on the one. And, and, and I think Corey and I looked at each other and we're like, what? Why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> man, you know, I'm telling you, man, like, it was, it was like the early shows with Fishbone. Fishbone, the original Fishbone, was when they were, you know, I'm talking about they were 18 or 19 years old. Oh, wow. And it was out of control. Hmm. You, I'd never seen anything, a stage performance anything like it i used to hate having to do shows with them because it was just ridi- ridiculous just like it's around truth and soul era oh, yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah 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 we did we, a show with them ridiculous. um we, who was that show in santa monica santa monica civic center it was us stetsasonic Fishbone and, and public enemy. and public enemy oh, wow. fuck <laughs> public enemy public enemy yeah yeah that was cr- that was a crazy, crazy, crazy show. I've never seen a mosh pit that big in my life. It was a sea of bodies just roiling over each other. I've, it, it, there was a there was a like this circle that was going around that was the circumference of the Santa Monica Civic Center. Wow. <laughs> just, yeah, but it was great shit. And then someone yeah. got stabbed. <laughs> and then someone got stabbed. Great shit. Oh great my shit. gosh, uh, a lot, a lot of cool. Just, but all these bands that you're talking about, uh, like you guys, Bad Brains, Horse Seven Spies, like everybody could really play. And I feel like at the time, at least for me, Living Color was one of my introductions to bands. I was like, oh, these guys are they can play. Like learning about musicianship, right? You know, and it seemed taken as seriously as the songwriting. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we were a band that was forged by, you know, on the one hand, well, ba- you know, Bad Brains, they were fusion guys, mm-hmm. right. you know what I mean? And 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 so a lot of hardcore owes a lot to the Mahavishnu Orchestra, like a lot of prog rock and... Oh, that me? Speaking of me, that orchestra oh, alert. Right. That's Living Colors guy Kevin fucked up my phone. It's sitting in here talking to us. <laughs> This is the reason I won't look at pornography on my computer anymore. Did you think it's looking back at you? It is. Jerking off? It definitely is. I got tape. I got tape over my cameras, man. I ain't into that. I ain't into that. We all have tape over our cameras, Benny. Brenna, what were you saying about hardcore? Hardcore, you know, hardcore owes a lot to like some of the, you know, like hardcore in Prague owes a lot to some of the fusion bands like Mavish and Orchestra and things like that. I mean... I mean, early, like, when I saw Black Flag, I was like, wow, like, they're really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, saw them at the Old Ritz. But you look back, I mean, like, you know, even uh, Descendants, you know, all those guys can really play. Oh, you yeah. Know, like, insane. Helmet. Helmet. Yeah. Helmet. Oh, fucking oh, Page. Page is a beast. Mm. He's, He's a monster. He's a real guitar player, though. Like, you know, like. I saw Helmet open for Faith, for Faith No More, and I remember, like, like, Speaking of Faith No More, like vocalists at the time for me when I was in high school was Corey Glover and Mike Patton. Like right. I, you guys were like of the same ilk. The things you could do with 
the pipes. I it it still mystifies me being able to it sounded like you're tearing your voice up and then singing like an aria. Like is that is that something you're born with or is that is that it's, something you learn or it's, it's who you live with. <laughs> it causes all of that stuff. Just causes the joy and the pain. And you know, I live with him. <laughs> you don't live together. <laughs> like when I when I found out like you were you were uh replacing Carl Anderson, I was yeah. like, "Of course." Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously. That, that was a dream come true for me. I can only imagine. Yeah. Because my whole interpretation of what a rock singer sounded like was Carl Anderson from Jesus Christ Superstar. Flat out. Like, and if I could sound like that, I could be in a rock band. And I didn't think I sounded like that. But, you know, I so- thought I sounded like something else. So, <laughs> but I wanted to do that. And then, you know, somebody introduced me to hardcore music. And I was like, oh, I want to do that, too. Yeah. You know, and then I heard HR and I was like, oh man, fuck it, I can't do this shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's, footage, there's footage of Brian Baker in one of the gazillion legally mandated documentaries about the DC scene mm. talking about how the first Minor Threat show, mm. they had to go on and Bad Brains was playing and they were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like everyone has that reaction whenever right. Bad Brains is on the bill. Like, right. Gah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the thing. You got to. Show but that's proof. cool having that kind of competition i think makes people better and you want to have a good show and and you also are a fan of who you're playing with you know yeah yeah it's good man it was i remember man so many of those cbgb shows it was fun just li- listening to other bands listening to other fo- folks do their thing was great was it scary at all? Because I read all these hardcore memoirs and they're like i stabbed this guy here this guy got a <laughs> bottle cracked over his head like all the chromax books and that stuff I mean, I don't know, man. I, 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 you know, I those were not the shows I saw. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Uh, every, every, all of those, like the Circle Jerk shows, uh, Crow Mag shows that I saw were great. I mean, they were, you know, I, you know, and they I were home. My, I, I, they, they, yeah. they, were, they were, you know, when when you go see see those kind of, see those kind of bands in New York. No one's coming there to prove anything. It's like I'm home. I'm gonna have a good time, right. and that's what the audience, how the audience felt. That's how I felt. It's like they're back. I'm, I'm gonna be there, right? And and I, I always got the impression that that there was that sense of competition carried over into something else outside of their circle of friends, and that they had to deal with it. Then they had to deal with some sort of like <clears throat> rougher competition at that point. Like mm. you guys think you're the hot shit, but you know. Yeah, Just, right. You know, I with it more outside of New York. Yeah, I can I wanna, see that. I want to segue that into uh, the decision to cover "Who Shot You." Yeah, because I mean that's a, a a song that talking about different sides and well, outside shot, of where well, you are. Well, "Who Shot You" was funny because it really was born out of out of uh, we were just talking about stuff to do, and and I was like, we we should record "Who Shot You" because Corey would always during our sound checks would always bust out the rhyme and then um we put it together and then um uh, andre and Corey decided he would sing it as opposed to rapping it and it worked out well i mean it's it's funny because it's not a blues tune but how it really fits in shade is that the the narrative of of christopher wallace is a blues story when you consider what you know, mm. he he did who shot you it was really directed at Tupac Shakur after two because Tupac Shakur was shot and wounded, 
right. in New York City outside of Quad recording. And who shot you was really kind of, it really kind of set off a lot of the problems that the two of them had with each other. But then when you consider what actually happened to Biggie in the end, I mean, that, in a, in a, in a larger sense, made the song very um, compatible with the things we're saying on the record. Hmm. And how, what was the idea for the video? How did that come about? Well, we, you know, we uh, got together with Dave Taylor, mm-hmm. the director, and we, we were also talking about how um, started having a discussion about the stats on, on gun violence and how shocking it is. And at one point, we started to list people, different people who are well-known people. And, you know, we decided to include Lee Harvey Oswald because he was also shot by Jack Ruby. We included Dimebag Daryl. Mm. You know, there's a shocking number of artists who have died because via gun violence. Lee Harvey mm. Oswald was not an artist. No, no, but we listed, but we listed Dimebag Daryl, and we listed other people. We listed other people like Lee Morgan, and people like that John Lennon, right? Um, who also, you know, we listed people uh, like Kurt Cobain, who died as as a result of, of suicide. I don't know if we listed Terry Katz, but you know, when but you, there's a shocking amount of artists. Wasn't Marvin Gaye killed people. by a gun too? Yes, by his father. By his yeah. father, yeah. Marvin Gaye, right? That's the thing, right? Marvin Gaye. And yeah, now that you guys are mentioning, like I've never realized how many there are. Yeah, until you just said it. Yeah, it's crazy. I was shocked at the stat. There, there was a song. Remember that band Consolidated? I don't know if you remember them back. Oh, sure. In, so they had this song "Tool and Die" mm-hmm. about gun violence and how terrible it was in the nineties. <laughs> and one of the the things was uh, an Av- African American male under the age of thirty five. That's the leading cause of violence. And I was like, oh, it's awful. And then the same stat is quoted in your video, and I was like, it hasn't changed. That shocked me to the core hearing that. Mm. And I was like, I... The idea uh, that that all problems can be solved with a gun is crazy to me. That we've decided that in order to end an argument, to stop a conflict, to make things right, you have to have some sort of gun. And I don't mean like a revolver or a machine gun or anything, but just... A show of force is the way that you stop these ideas, which is crazy. Well, violence is a part is a way, is an American way of life, though. I mean, I mean, I mean, stats like I tell you, like ex wives, girlfriends are right. under threat by their boyfriends and husbands. That happens a lot, and um, suicide. You know, people take you know take their own lives at a shocking rate. And we and we don't really even have all the numbers because, you know, the NRA's lobby that we that that not to record all the stats, you know, so it's a very They can't even treat it as a disease because they've lobbied against the C D C to make it impossible for them to do that. When anything else could be considered a disease, access to something that can be harmful can be considered a disease. Mm. Access you know, and I have this argument constantly with m- my mother is like, you know, she loves to shoot. has got a couple of handguns and she is all for universal background checks. Pretty sure she's for liability insurance for ammunition. And she's that person. And I'm like, well, they're not enough of you. Right. 
There's not enough of you. And you're arguing, well, don't say I can't have it. I'm like, well, I, I'm so sorry, but I was raised by you that if I do this one more time, then all the toys go away. Mm. I bet you your mom's a pretty good shot, though. She's pretty good. <laughs> I wanted to end things on maybe try to find a positive note. Sure. Uh, <laughs> your, your mom's a pretty good shot. There it is. <laughs> Boom. Thank you guys very much. There you go. Andy Beautiful. Oakley over here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, did you guys have any, like, were there any moments in the studio, any songs that were really fun to work on, anything, like, that kind of sticks out to you as you oh, were yeah, like? But, oh, yeah, yeah. Because well, there's so much heavy content on it. Oh yeah, I th- I definitely think uh, two sides uh, felt really special when we when we uh, when we recorded it. Um, I really like the way the song All- "Always Wrong" uh, turned out. Yeah, it, I mean, I just uh, think the way that that came about. The final version of uh, "Preaching Blues." I'm very happy that we chose that version of "Preaching Blues." Take seven or or five <laughs> or five. I I, I, I was a, you know I grew up a fan of your music and you know many many years later I kind of got to like see it myself and get into this world and like even in like I'm 36 and I I think about all the things I would have maybe approached differently in my head not the actual physical things because obviously you've been a great success. Right. Um, but is there anything like if you could go back to like, you know, the beginning and just talk to yourself oh God. and be like, yo, just do this this way. Like, do this this way. Is there, is there something oh, paramount that you might <laughs> tell yourself? Pick, what's Throw a highlight? dart. Throw a dart. Throw a dart. Oh my God. And this obviously goes for both of you. Uh... What would I have done differently? You know, I honestly, uh, the the original breakup of the band, I would have, I would have, I would have had the band, I would have had us take a high, an actual hiatus, hmm. as opposed to the band breaking up. I probably would have said, listen, you know what? We should all do our solo records. We should all do other things for a while. That's that I would say. Okay. Uh, in all honesty, I would have I would have said, you know what, I can't do this right now. We can't do this right now. Let's do some other things. At that time, it was a kind of very emotionally fraught time because um, I was also breaking up with my first wife, and so I was not available for this kind of sage wisdom at the time. Right. <laughs> but that's that would be would have been the thing I would have suggested. Okay. How about you, Corey? it's it's you know i can't regret where i am right now sure i'm very happy with where i am i i mean i can i can mention a few instances where you know i should have turned left instead of right but i'm pretty you know the happenstance of my life has been very very fruitful you know, mm-hmm. the happenstance of meeting Vernon at that birthday party was very, very fruitful. The happenstance of me walking into Patricia Fields and finding that stupid ass wetsuit is, <laughs> um, is, you know, very fortuitous for me. Um, and, you know, knowing the people, meeting the people that I've met and good, bad or indifferent, it makes me who I am today. And I, I want to say there are a few things and there are a few people I shouldn't have met, but, you know, <laughs> it's too bad. 
Yeah. Yeah. You pulled cool. off the wetsuit too, that campaign. <laughs> yeah, you look yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> really. You made it look cool. It's amazing. Very few guys could have managed that. <laughs> right on. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm tired. Yeah, that was an intense podcast. Uh, great closing question by Benny once again, <laughs> yeah. pulling it off. Um, I wanted to, uh, yeah, thank Vernon Reed and Corey Glover for coming by. Also thank uh, their manager, Kevin Calabro, for setting it up. Um, and yeah, their new album, Shade, is out now. You can get it. I know it's on sale at Best Buy. You can sure you can get it on iTunes. Um and uh, yeah, if Living Color are playing in your town, definitely, definitely go see them. They still just kill it live. They shred. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks to those guys. Uh, if you want to support our podcast, like we said up front, um, we're working on some new stuff for you. But in the meantime, you can always donate uh, at Venmo.com slash off track. Um, Brad's name will pop up. That means it's going to the right place. And if you leave us a funny comment, we will definitely see it. And we appreciate it. All your donations. Um, I'm going to throw some more props out there. Thank you, Aaron, Robert, Brandon, Ren, Shannon. Boy, Ed, of course. (laughs) He's a regular. Check out Ed's obscure band, Beach Slang. Thank you, all you people. These are these are great. You know, you've you've uh, you keeping our server costs going or whatever. But we're going to try and hit you guys back with some more incentives to keep doing that. and then also, if you don't have a Venmo account, I think you can still donate via PayPal Yeah, on the website. Yeah, if you go to gongofftrack.com. Um, and yeah, and I'd like to thank everyone that sends me notes. I got a note today, someone saying, I know I'm a year and a half late, but I loved your SD Heim episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I get these notes maybe like once a week from random people. And it, uh, it's, it's very nice that people like go out of their way to like find my email, sit down, write something. So I appreciate that. Send um, the love. Yes. All right. Well, uh, yeah, hope you dug that episode. Um, you can follow us online uh, on uh, Twitter at Going Off Track. Um, you can give us a review on iTunes. You can do all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next Wednesday with another great episode. So see you then. Bye.